It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Welcome to this episode of Kennedy Saves the World. It's it's a humbly named podcast. And today I'm fortunate enough to be joined by someone who is going to save your holiday travel from something as burdensome as a hardbound book. Right. Uh, it is it is one of our nation's most celebrated authors and broadcasters. He broadcasts for six hours a day, and that's before he gets to Fox and Friends <laughs> and before he does his right. eponymous radio show. Brian Kilmeade, welcome back to Kennedy Saves the World. Can I look up eponymous or have we already begun? We've, we've started <laughs> in <search>? five. <laughs> <laughs> so Brian has a wonderful book written about uh, two legends who tower above culture and politics in this country for Different reasons, although they have an intersection that is uh, remarkable and interesting. We've already spoken about it in one podcast. It's called The President and the Freedom Fighter. Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and their battle to save America's soul. So there, we already—I have something in common with Abraham Lincoln and Frederick, Frederick Douglass. Which is? Saving the world. Both of you. Yep. All, all three. three. Of us. Yep. All three of us. Right. The trifecta. Why they don't mention you— in any of their writings, is something I'd harbor some bitterness. But in all seriousness, you're one of the few people I talk to that doesn't need to read the book to know about almost everything that I write about. You seem to have a, a historical foundation. Where did that come from? Uh, my dad. My dad. Nonstop? Just nonstop. He he could read, I swear to you, a 700-page book in a weekend. Wow. And and he had he had such incredible comprehension that was long-term, like, I will read something and remember it for a day. Right. And then I'm like a ferret. Right. It is It is gone, and I'm just slithering around the kitchen looking for crumbs. How do you How do you handle grudges? You can't keep them going. <laughs> you you forget who's mad at you. Exactly. I am so mad. I forgot. I just assume everyone's mad at me, <laughs> and I'm mad at everyone, and right. it makes it much, much easier. Right. So the paperback version of your book is much easier to travel with. And, and a, a thank you to all of us who wear backpacks when we travel. I know you travel with a backpack. He's got it right there. Black Beauty is uh, lying on the couch. Right. And this this is nice because we get all the information plus a new epilogue. Right. I just thought I'd, I'd do something we do every day, the news. So how do you put news into a historical story? And I thought, why don't we just take it from what's happening? Because at the same time that I'm doing this book tour, they decide that freedom statue that Douglas dedicated 10 years after Lincoln's death, who he wasn't thrilled with the design, but it was paid for by emancipated slaves. Scott. Yeah. She An had incredible a, story. Right. And she is, raises money from other emancipated slaves for this reason. They commissioned Thomas Ball, who happened to be located in Italy at the time, and they come up with this design. Now, the intricacies of the push, was there pushback? No, I think the, the mission was pretty clear. Show a black man uh, rising up for, out of chains, and thank, th thanks to Lincoln, it happens. He, his term for Eric Douglas was, is very interesting. He preferred, he didn't love it, but he dedicated to it. He understood what, it was, what went into it. He was fine with it. And to think 100 years later, 100 plus years later, we're going to take it down because it's insensitive. And in Massachusetts, they did. 
take it out of, uh, they took it out of, they got a replica statue and they took it down. We're going to box it up first. And then we're going to take it out. That's the way we do things now. Well, that that isn't how we should do things. And, and we should learn the story of people like Charlotte Scott, a, a freed woman who donated her entire life savings, which happened to be five dollars. Mm-hmm. And because of, of her action, she inspired other people to raise money and to donate whatever they could because they they wanted to they wanted an emblematic symbol that meant Something to people who were just learning about Lincoln, who mm-hmm. maybe, you know, weren't around or, you know, didn't get to hear the Emancipation Proclamation or, you know, weren't there for the final days of his presidency. And she wanted to be able to inspire people. And, and the statue took form because of her. See, Kennedy, you get it in that I am not interested in what I think. I'm interested in what people thought then. I want to know what made Lincoln make the decisions he made, Douglas the person he became, uh, Charlotte, the the mission to go ahead and do this statue was almost 10 years later. It wasn't the president was asked to uh, to open it up and, and give the commencement address for it. It was not Ulysses S. Grant. He says, Frederick Douglass, would you do it? And he did it. And he gave a speech that's controversial but accurate. I am not going to mess with Frederick Douglass's speech that talked about Fred Lincoln being a white man's president, but how that he wanted Lincoln to pick up the pace and do the emancipation right away and allow blacks to fight in this war right away. And he didn't because the country wasn't ready. He said in retrospect, he said Lincoln was right. He had to be he had to be slow and plotting and deliberate in doing it because the country wasn't ready. So I study, I understand that. I, I see what both people uh, said about it. I look at the North Star and see what they wrote about. That was Lincoln. That was uh, Frederick Douglass's newspaper. And I said, that brings me back to this time. And I relay the story. But in the epilogue, I talk about today. I'm like, wait a second. We're going to take that down. We're going to uh, decide that it's not good enough for us. And they asked Douglass's great, great grandson, what do you think? He said, listen, uh, leave it. If you want to put another statue of my great, great, great grandfather giving the commencement address in Lincoln Park, go ahead and do it. But who were we today to decide our values in our generation is what they should have had in 1865, excuse me, 1875. We should judge people about the generation in which they lived and effort to find out what they thought at that time because you have a better understanding of what we're going through now. And, and that context is really, really important because we cannot project people's feelings, especially the feelings of the thought police, on what was truly happening then. And, you know, oftentimes people talk about because we have political division. You know, it's like, oh, we're in the middle of a civil war. It's like that was a civil war where more than 600,000 people died. Right. And, you know, the the fate of the country and freedom itself right. were on the line in ways that, you know, theoretically we talk about things as though they are as dramatic as they were back then, but it's not until, and you know this, doing the research and the reading and reading the primary sources and the letters, the urgency that life and death brings you. So Lincoln never wrote his biography, cut down to 56. You think he's 76 by his age, because obviously what he went through, he had the hard life going into the presidency, let alone what happened in the presidency. We never had a chance to see Lincoln, the peacetime president. I think it would have been phenomenal. He's a big picture guy who wanted to hear all sides. He had a plan for post-war, and he talked about reconciliation, not revenge, which is key. And it's the same thing Frederick Douglass felt. But if you look at Douglass, you look at their circumstances of their life. 
Why should Douglas be patient? Let me see. He had to escape to freedom. He knew if he was caught, he'd be put in jail, probably executed, probably hanged. They also accused him of conspiring with John Brown to cause an insurrection in the South. John Brown was a guy that looked like a maniac, probably wasn't, but was a religious zealot who decided, and we all agree, that uh, there should be no slavery. So he said, if I go into the South, take over an armory, I'll, I'll rally all the blacks to rise up for their freedom. I'll be their symbol. I'll be their bellwether. And they didn't rise up. It didn't happen. does uh, have a song about him, John Brown's body. Right. Uh, but I, and I didn't think about this till I sat down here. So Frederick Douglass is upset about Lincoln. They say, we finally got a war. We're finally going to fight for freedom. Let me fight. Let us free. You said you're going to do that. The country's not ready. Well, Frederick Douglass is meeting with John Brown and they had a great relationship. The kids knew, the old kids knew Uncle John Brown. He was over all the time. But when he talked about insurrection, the rumor was, and what Douglass said later, I'm, I don't think the country's ready for it. They're not going to rally around you. So he said, no, I'm not going to do it. He said, come with me. He's like, I'm not doing that. So while he was on a speaking tour, he finds out the insurrection happened and they have a link to Douglas. Some letters showed up and he quickly has to clean out his desk and kind of go into hiding in Canada until the heat goes off. So the timing wasn't right when John Brown wanted to do it. When Douglas said, let's get an emancipated slavery let's, uh, proclamation and let's free everybody and let them fight for their freedom. Lincoln said, no, we're not ready. And he was upset by that, wrote scathing articles about Lincoln at the time. He goes, he let me down. He lied. Why? Because Lincoln said, not only am I not ready after his inaugural. If you want to make the 13th Amendment uh, engrave, put slavery in it, do it. We'll vote on it, but just come back into the union because his goal, keep the country together. What am I governing? Instead, he loses uh, he loses half the country and he's worried about the border states flipping against him and have Maryland about a hair's breadth away from the White House. So he knows if he goes to free all the slaves, he'll lose half of Maryland. Is that worth it? It probably is not worth it. He had to wait for the right time. Two and a half years later was the right time. He meets Douglas. They have incredible momentum together. They have uh, they decide they're going to do their own insurrection. They're going to alert the slaves that they are no longer slaves, that they're free. But before that happens, some decisive victories doesn't it makes it unnecessary. And all of a sudden, the North looks like they're going to win. It looks like uh, thanks to Douglas, he's uh, Lincoln's going to get reelected, and they are on the glide path to winning this war and trying to heal the wounds. But he doesn't get a chance to work his second term. And Douglas is the one who has to sit there and deal with a very racist uh, President Johnson. And, and they tried to bum rush the White House, which is another thing we learn about that meeting. Johnson was confronted by Douglas and some other black luminaries. And they were like, no, no, this is how it has to go down. Things are not right. You know, the Ku Klux Klan is running the South and uh, it has become very unsafe and a murderous environment. We were promised freedom. And Johnson's like, yeah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And then it's or as worse. Say, it's OK. Yeah. Right. Um, he Because he's from the South. He was looked at as re, a Republican governor from the South that might be a way to bring the South back together. Lincoln didn't know him. He was basically assigned to him by political heavyweights. He had no relationship with Johnson. It's not like today where they got to at least pretend to get along for a while. That was the story. So what happens is Grant has to come in and save the day, and it's a good time to introduce Brett Baer, but he's got a show right now. But he picks up to rescue Brett? the republic is after. Here? Brett is not here. He no. would never come on yeah, in saving the world because he believes he saved yes, the world. Yes, he did. Did he really? Yes, we talked about my sexy boyfriend, Ulysses S. Grant. Really? But I think I think Grant is very instrumental in bridging the gap between Douglas and Lincoln because it wasn't until Lincoln had full faith in Grant and Grant was like, come on, man, we have to let these free men fight for us. They are the ones who are most invested in the outcome of this war. They are brave. They are ready. 
let them fight. And Link was like, yeah, what the hell? Why not? Now. And then with that, that dramatic moment when he says down there is the 54th Infantry, mm-hmm. uh, Mr. President, why don't you, because he used to go to the battlefield, which is amazing, right? Mind-boggling to see a president that big, that tall with a huge hat on horseback going to the battlefield. And he goes down and greets him and he sees the raw emotion. Same thing uh, when he lands after Jefferson Davis ran for the hills and ran from his White House. It was time for Jeff, for Lincoln to go. I'm going to go into Richmond. He brings his son into Richmond and he sees the reaction of African-Americans who are suddenly free. And he begins to realize really the magnitude of what he's done. And in the beginning, there are some quotes, Kennedy, that you're not going to like that I hate. That he says, listen, everybody should be free, but I don't think whites and blacks are equal. Obviously, whites are superior. That's how he was brought up. That's the context in which he was. But this is a story of evolving human beings in their generation. By the time he's done, he probably feels like Benjamin Franklin felt. Franklin was in the beginning, yeah, slavery, I had slaves, that's the way it is. And then he realizes with education, we're all equal, something we think is a no-brainer. But the smartest man in the world at the time, arguably, did not know that. He ends up being the ultimate abolitionist. In his day, he realized the folly and the, and the cruelty of slavery. Mm. Lincoln was there. Not when the war started. It wasn't really part of his life. He's living in the Midwest. Three percent of the African-American population was in the North. He went down the Mississippi. He saw what he saw. He did see a slave trade happen. He was horrified by it. But he grew up in an environment where there wasn't really that much of an issue, but he understood it was breaking up the country. All right. We got more of this interview after this. Precise, personal, powerful. It's America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And that's why when Douglas gave that speech, he said, you know, he, he addressed the white audience and the black audience. And to the white audience, and this is in Brian's book, The President and the Freedom Fighter, which you should get now in paperback, travel with in your backpack, he said uh, to the white audience, you are the children of Abraham. And he said to the black audience, we are at best his stepchildren. Exactly. And people thought, well, what are you doing? He's being honest. But he loved the guy. And, and obviously Mrs. Lincoln loved him too, knew that they had a great relationship in the brief time in which they met, but certainly respect. And he mailed him his walking stick, the ivory walking stick after his death. And Frederick Douglass was made sure to see the body, which went 1,700 miles uh, before it would ultimately end up in Springfield. I did not know this until I researched this. It would retrace this, his journey to the White House, uh, back from the White House. Now, think about this. A guy that didn't even get 50 percent of the votes, the country disdained him, evidently, were horrified by the way he died and were saddened once again, even though, as you mentioned, 600,000 people, Americans, lost their lives. They still felt ultimate sadness, and they felt as though for the mourning process, we have to let the whole country see his body. Amazing. And they, luckily, they had uh, discovered the art of embalming before that happened. Right. So he was, he was just fine. For those of you listening at home who are a little worried about decay, he was in good shape. Right. By Not the by the end, though. Well, by the end of the journey, really? they were like, we got to put him back together. Uh, uh, one other thing, 56, I always think to myself, can you imagine if Douglas, uh, if Ulysses S. Grant and Lincoln were able to work together? in the 1865 through that. So you have Lincoln finish one term, maybe a third. 
And then with, with the brilliance, who knows who he was capable of. He saw that they needed housing. He saw that they needed jobs. He saw that they needed mass education. There was a plan in place to put teachers into the South. I know it would have they been did. They were put in the South and they were they were murdered. Right. And and but there was a there was going to be security along with it. At that point, they could use the army domestically, obviously, because that's what Grant used to suppress the Ku Klux Klan and also try to enforce election rules. There were problems with elections. It's not in in, in uh, Atlanta. In 2020 or 22, it was back then in 1868, 72, uh, 76 on down. But if you can imagine putting all three of those together, moving in the right direction, and maybe Grant follows Lincoln. It's heartbreaking. I mean, it's really heartbreaking to to think where we would be now because, you know, we would, I believe, and maybe this is this is the optimist in me, and that's how Frederick Douglass was, that, that painful optimism— I believe that our country would be a different and better place Absolutely. if if uh, if that had happened. Especially if you know what Grant was. I didn't know how great Grant was. Oh, isn't he amazing? Right. So when you read Chernow's book and you read Brett Baer's book. Which I did, both of them. And when he when I you read well, Chernow could edit one word. He's got like five thousand pages. pages. Yeah. yeah. It seems like five thousand. Re- uh, online? It, yeah. Yeah. Very, I, very long. My wrist is still sore from <laughs> From turning it, it's only just a little flick online. Um, but at the end, I thought I lost a family member. Yeah. I mean, that's how close you are with him as he rushes to finish his memoir so his family has some type of money. Because he had lost his fortune. Trusting. Trusting charlatans. Trusting people who were predatory vultures who took advantage of his trust and kindness. Who uh, was an officer in the military, but like a lieutenant or something. And they said, well, if Grant is investing in it, all his friends invested in mm-hmm. it. It was a Bernie Madoff type scandal. Absolutely right. And in the end, they lost everything. He his was, kids, his sons, right. his whole family. And they were they were pretty loaded. Like Jesse was doing really well at that point. The younger Jesse. Right. Not, I thought you meant dad. Jesse. Yeah. No. And not Uncle Jesse from the Dukes of Hazzard. What about Jesse Waters? Jesse Waters is doing quite well. Right. He stole my title. Which is? About saving the world. And did he ever pay you? Not a dime. And did he ever save the world? Well, I mean, it's a pale imitation. But You would think with everyone promising to save the world, the world would be saved by now. It's like a hologram. Right. He's the Tupac hologram of... Right. Yeah. Tupac. That's right. Gunned down. It's very sad. Right. Not recently. Final words? Do you know what they were? What? F you. Really? Yeah. Is that on his tombstone? No, it was uh, the police officer who uh, was trying to save Tupac's life said, tell me who shot you. And he said, F you. Oh, mm. not as romantic as I thought. And not my... as at this, you know, now that we're spitballing it, I don't know if that's your yeah. next book. Right. Um, not that I'm thinking the after school special script I was working on. Now, if it's going to end like that, I don't think so. Right. I mean, the that bunch might of fourth graders. Like after night school. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right, extra help school. Yes, so uh, everyone needs to get the paperback version of Brian Kilmeade's book, The President and the Freedom Fighter, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and their battle battle to save America's soul. It's a New York Times bestseller. Uh, Brian is a wonderful writer, and as you know, he internalizes and lives history every single day. Uh, I, I still am in awe that you are able to find time— the writing is one thing. It's the research that takes time. But but you, I do not know how you have time and energy to do it. It is whatever Suits. whatever you're taking, I, I, I want to bottle it and huff it myself. No hobbies, no friends. <laughs> so that's uh, no hobbies, no friends. That's it. What am I going to do? How long am I going to stare at the wall? And I just said, <laughs> I might as well Google something. 
And that's my method. Do you want to write that down? Brian doesn't even read books. Right. He just Googles random facts. Right. He doesn't even fact check them. Right. They sound great, hey, though. Hey, if it's in Wikipedia, what, what do, you, do you need a second source? <laughs> you, no, you do absolutely right. do not. Not on not Fox News Channel. Maybe on Fox Business. But <laughs> not on Fox News. <laughs> or not on my radio show, anyway. I don't want to besmirch. Listen to Brian's radio show every day. Right. Kilmead. It's noon to three on the in the Pacific. Not that's no no yeah. not in the Pacific. Maybe yeah. in Hungary, <laughs> that's right. but of uh, nine to noon Eastern time, which is the that's time what I zone. Said. Yep. Right. It's the time zone I go with, <laughs> but it's the one I'm in. Yeah. So that's one here. Six to nine in the West. Right. Where we love our Pacific Northwesterners and our long suffering Californians. They can listen to Brian, enjoy him, take him with enjoy them him. wherever they go. Because. You can listen on foxnewsradio.com. Right. And the no internet. friends, and no friends, no hobbies. No friends, no hobbies, all Brian. Brian right. Kilmeade, thank you for being a part of the podcast again. Right. You have another show to do. I sure do. Right. I got a monologue to write. Mm. It says, Ben Kennedy saves the world. I'm Kennedy. For more podcasts from my friends at Fox, you can go to foxnewspodcast.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Oh, go ahead and leave me a review while you're there. I'd love to hear what you have to say. You've been listening to Kennedy Saves the World on the Fox News Podcast Network. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.